Good morning, Forest Grove Community Church, Attridge. Welcome here this morning. It's so good to be gathered to worship together through song and through prayer and through scripture and fellowship. My name is Chandra Stiles, and I'm the youth and young adults pastor here at this campus. And up, standing beside me, is supposed to be Tyler Martin, our youth and young adults intern, who uh, prepared to co-teach with me this morning. Um, Tyler had a non-emergent medical issue yesterday, which is preventing him from being with us here this morning. Um, he's going to be okay, but he's going to need some time. And so um, I just want to acknowledge that much of this content that I'll be teaching was meant to be done in partnership with him and is accredited to him and his efforts. Um, and I want to take a moment to pray for him as he's at home uh, resting and healing. Pray for us as we prepare to hear from the word of God together. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. You are good and you are here and you are at work. And we just acknowledge your presence with us now. And God, we thank you that you, you are the way maker and the miracle worker and the promise keeper, our light in the darkness. And I just pray that as we come into this space this morning with whatever we're carrying, the joys or the pains of life, Lord, that we would just know those things to be true about who you are. And as we come to, to, the, to your word this morning, God, would you just meet us in the needs that we have? Would you reveal yourself to us, remind us of your goodness, and just speak to us in your truth? And I pray this morning for Tyler as he's at home and not able to be with us this morning. Lord, would your, your presence be healing for his body and comfort for his heart and his mind and peace for his soul? We just pray that, um, yeah, that he can rest and recover. Um, and Lord, thank you for the efforts that he put into wanting to bring the word to his church this morning. So we love you, Jesus. So we pray this in your name. Amen. This morning, I have the privilege of continuing on in our storyline series. A few weeks ago, we started this series, and it's looking at the storyline of God revealing who he is and his love for us and who we are through scripture. We started at the beginning in creation, and then we talked about how brokenness entered the world. Last week, we learned about God's promises for us, and today, we're going to talk about the law and what it looks like for God to give us laws to live by. So I'm going to start with a question, and usually in our youth programs, we always kind of have an opening question that we get people to talk about together and share their answers. We're not going to do that this morning, but you can think about this and maybe share it over lunch with someone later. But what is one of the most unique rules that you had or have now in your household, either growing up or right now if you're still growing up, what's one of the uh, rules that feels kind of like silly or maybe really specific to your context or something that you're like, when I went to my friends' houses, they just didn't do that. On Tuesday night, I had the opportunity to ask some of our youth, uh, youth students and our leaders about some of the rules that they had in their house. And here's some of the, the responses I got. That there were certain drawers or cupboards or closets that the kids were just not allowed to go into. Maybe some of you resonate with that. One student said that they were not allowed to have backpacks in their room. So their backpack came and stayed in like the mud closet and, and it didn't, didn't ever come into their room or out of their room. Another said that there was not allowed to be any singing at the meal table. Maybe some of you have that rule right now. Um, one student said that you have to be playing a sport at all times, um, which was similar. My husband had this rule in his household. You could either play a sport or do more chores every week. 
That was the trade-off. Another one said that every day you were allowed to have one cup. And you kept that one cup on the window ledge, and it went in the dishwasher at the end of the day. I'm not sure what happened if that cup got, got misplaced during the day. Maybe you were dehydrated until the next morning. Um, Tyler shared with me that in his family, the rule was that from grade 6 to 8, you had to be in band. And when he entered grade 6, his band teacher um, identified to him that he was indeed tone deaf, as all his siblings were before him, and recommended that maybe that rule should be changed. And so Tyler was exempt from the following years of band that he had to be in. We all have different relationships with rules. For some of us, we like the order and predictability and consistency that they bring. For others, they can feel too confining or restricting or limiting. Or for others, you might feel like this rule works for a time, but then it needs to be evaluated and adapted for a changing landscape. Regardless of how you feel about rules, we can't deny that rules or guidelines or order help things exist and flourish. Science has laws that make sense of how the world functions, Governments have laws that try to keep citizens in order. Music has laws that allows songs to be played in sweet harmony. Wherever there is meant to be flourishing, things coming to life, or things bringing other things to life, there's a structure of order. And this is the way that God created the world. As we learned a few weeks ago, in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, it teaches us that God created the world that we live in, and he created it in this perfect harmony. This harmonious order where everything worked together for good. In Hebrew, this word is shalom. Now, often shalom is translated into peace, and we often think of peace as just like the absence of disruption or war. But the word shalom is more of like a holistic look at the word peace. This like holistic completeness of harmony and all things working together for good. And this is what God created the world in. Perfect shalom. But then we learned that there was a disruption to this order, something called sin. Sin, which was going against the way that God had ordered the world for us, it then entered the world and continued to bring disorder as it continued to break the shalom that God had created things with. And now we have a disordered world, a world that is in need of saving, redeeming, reordering. And then last week we learned about God's promises that our need to be saved from the disorder of sin that's present began shortly after that sin entered the world. And so God began to promise us that redemption and lead us back to his order of shalom. This promise would ultimately be fulfilled by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. But at this point in our storyline, if we're actually walking through these first books of scripture, we realize Jesus is not on the scene yet. And so here the people of Israel, God's people, people who want to know him and follow him, are left trying to figure out how to live in a world of broken order, broken shalom, disrupted with the brokenness of sin. And they have a long time to wait before Jesus would come. And so God, in his mercy and in his promise of redemption, he get, starts to give them rules and order, guidelines, a structure to follow that would lead them closer to that shalom. As we walk through the Old Testament, which is the part of the Bible that describes the world before Jesus walked in it, God begins to create these careful frameworks on how his people should live so that they are living in his order, in his ways. 
whether we call them commands or decrees, they're things that bring a broken people back into wholeness again. And so we know these things as the law. As we begin to look at books of the Bible like Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, we begin to see God helping his people understand his ways through him giving them structure, ordered ways of living that help his people reflect God's character, loving others, preventing harm to them, and loving themselves. Decrees that stem from the nature of God himself and his disposition towards his children who uniquely and completely belong to him. In Deuteronomy 7, there's a verse that gives us assurance that God's laws are connected to his character. It says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his command. But sometimes we don't always see the law or God's law as love. But instead we can see it as control or distance. We can look at God's laws like unachievable expectations or controlling confinement rather than love-laced invitations. And then God, the one who gives them, can look and feel more like a big bad rule keeper than a faithful God keeping the promise of love. So how does knowing the law tell us about God's character? Sometimes we do think of God as a big bad rule keeper. As we start to learn about the laws God gave us, it can feel like he's just issuing us a checklist of rights and wrongs. And we can fear constantly living outside of those. You know, anyone who has ever experienced parenting, parenting children, maybe parenting children that are teenagers, um, I'm sure at one point has been called this or has felt like this or felt like your kids are looking at you like this. Because you know that they may see rules that don't have meaning or feel unfair, but you see a structure given out of love that's protecting them and helping them. You know, often we're, we're put in a situation where we have to make rules for other peoples. We make them so that the value of the lives around them are protected, so that people don't get hurt or that they don't hurt others, not just because we want to have power over them, but because we love them and we want to protect them and create a situation where all people can flourish. The rules that are made are a reflection of our love. With God, it's no different, and neither is rules. Because if the rules tell us about the rule maker and what is important to him, then God's law tells us about who he is. If we want to know more about the character of God and the things that he cares about, then we need to look at the structure and the order that he put into place. In the storyline of scripture that we've been following, God's people, the people of Israel, were wandering in the lostness of the world filled with sin. They had moved kind of far away from knowing what it was like to live in step with God and his ways. And they were following their own wants and desires or making up their own ways. They were lost, choosing actions that were moving them far away from God and causing harm to one another and dishonoring him. So God, in his mercy, gave the people of Israel a list of ten rules we call them the Ten Commandments, that would help them know and follow him and live justly with his children, the people around him. He knew that no one would be able to follow these laws perfectly all the time, but he expected them to try, and in their trying, to experience his character. So let's take a look at Exodus 20, 
This is where it tells us the Ten Commandments, which maybe some of you are familiar with. Maybe some of you have never read before. And these Ten Commandments, they're kind of separated into two sections. The first four talk about us connecting with God, honoring him and following him, turning our hearts toward him. And the last six turn us outwards toward the people around us and how we're meant to treat them. The first commandment says this, you must not have any other God but me. In a time and culture where people were worshiping other things as if they had the power of God, God says, no, I'm the only one that has that, that power, that sovereignty, who's that powerful. The next one, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind. At that time, they were so longing to put their trust in anything that they were even making structures of, of things that they would worship. And God's saying, no, don't put things before me. Trust me first. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God, a name that has power and is meant to be deeply intimate as we have a relationship with the God of the universe. And he says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The Sabbath day, the seventh day of the week, was a day meant for rest for the Israelites, where they stopped their work, where they rested, and where they kept it holy by setting it apart to pay attention to God at work around them. These four commandments gave a foundation of connectedness to God and understanding of who he is and his power so that then thoughts, words, and actions could flow out of that relationship. And so we move to the next six commandments. And they say this, as we look outward, look externally to the relationships around us. Honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land of the Lord that the Lord your God is giving you. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. That means having sex with someone who's not your marital spouse. You must not steal, take from someone something that is not yours. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not, not lie about them or to them. You must not covet your neighbor's house, be jealous of or want to take it from them. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. These six commandments were likely relevant to the situations that were happening at the time. And maybe if written to us now, it would be rewritten in a little bit of a different context. But the principles are clear. Here we see God inviting his children to show his character of love to one another. We see the way that God wants us to act to keep ourselves and others safe and to show the value that he has given to all of his creation. Rules that reflect just actions towards our families, our neighbors' bodies, sexualities, possessions, land, and identities. These rules show God's character, a God who is sovereign and powerful, and a God who has created his people in his image with the desire to see his children live equitably amongst each other so that all may flourish. When we were preparing for this, Tyler shared a story with me about his own relationship to understanding more of God's rules. When he was younger, he was a person who just felt like if a rule was told to you, you had to follow it. And so he just did. He blindly followed rules. And as he learned about God and, and the rules that God gives or the commands and invitations in Scripture that God gives, he just felt, okay, I just have to do all those things because it says I have to do them. But as he got older, this became complicated for him. He began to realize that he didn't want to just blindly follow rules that other people told him to follow. 
He wanted to understand why they existed, to be able to like enter into them more fully. So it wasn't until he was later in his teenage life when he started to make his faith his own and ask questions about why certain things in the Bible would be issued as a commandment or why God would make a rule like that that feels exclusive or demanding. And as he began to process those questions and the people around him began to help him understand the importance of those rules, he learned more about who God is and learned more about the character that God was displaying to him and came into relationship with him deeper. When we look at this passage in Exodus, these Ten Commandments, we could just see a list of rules to follow that must be followed in order for us to do things right and be lovable and be accepted by God, which I think many people do see. But the truth is, these rules are invitations. They're invitations to acknowledge that we are already loved and accepted by God because he's created us, but now, as we live in his image, are invited to show that love and acceptance to those around us because God loves us and God loves them. Which means that these words of the law are not just actions to follow, but they're actually things that are designed to shape who we are. So what does the way that we respond to the law tell us about our own character? <clears throat> the thing about laws is that they're not just made to tell us about the lawmaker. It's not like we're just supposed to be like, oh yes, God cares about the lives of others and doesn't want us to kill them or harm them. Great, I know that now. No, they're actually supposed to lead us to a response, to a way of life that we live out. If God created us in his image and we're choosing to follow him, then our following means actions. And sometimes that also means reactions. Humans have different personalities, which mean that we have different reactions to things. If you watch 10 different kids getting in trouble for the exact same thing, you might see 10 different reactions. Anger, fear, shyness, remorse, embarrassment, bargaining. Our human nature often comes out when we're faced with any type of confrontation, but especially when it comes to one of right and wrong or of rules. I know for some of you, I don't know where you would identify on this scale, but maybe you would identify or we would identify as rule followers. You know, for some of you, you might feel like rules or laws are something that I just crave and they're welcomed, you know? You might like the structure and the order of it, or you might feel like, you know, it's easy to know if I'm doing the right thing or the wrong thing, or it's easy to know if I've accomplished all that I'm supposed to do, you know, checking off that list of do's and don'ts. Or it might just take a weight off of your shoulder to be a rule follower. You know, uh, you don't have to discern if something is right or wrong. You just know that the rule exists and you do it and you've done it well. And that's, that's a way that God has designed certain people uniquely to, to have that value of following the rules. But maybe if you're someone who gravitates towards being a rule follower, there can be troublesome places that you find yourself in. Maybe you can become legalistic, meaning really rigid and bound to the rules. And so there's no margin for exceptions or adjustments. Maybe you can become judgmental or exclusive. You can look at someone who chooses to adhere to a rule differently than you and think less of them or think they're wrong or unworthy. There can be pride or arrogance. You can look at yourself better than you look at someone else who chooses to live differently or even entering into condescendingness or being dismissive, actually disregarding someone who sees something different than you. You have to be aware 
And in these identities, sometimes there's a shadow side that we have to be attentive to. For others of you, you might find yourself on the other side of the spectrum, more of a rule bender. I'm going to say bender, not breaker, because bender just feels a little more acceptable. But maybe you find yourself as a rule bender. For some of you, rules or laws feel helpful, but maybe sometimes too restrictive. You think, you know, there must be an exception, or, you know, what, are, what if this rule needs to be changed? Or surely there can be some blurred lines that work for everyone in this scenario. Or is it really so bad to break a rule if it actually helps someone else? But being someone who gravitates towards bending the rules can also lead into troublesome spaces. You can begin to lose respect for authority. Or you can lack the ability to be submissive in a situation you might disagree with. You can create double standards where people's values are uh, seen differently and rules are uh, administered accordingly. You can become self-centered or self-interested. And rules all of a sudden can just become suggestions. And chaos can ensue in the subjectivity. Whether you lean towards being a rule follower or a rule bender or somewhere in between, both of these things can lead to disordered responses to the law. God's law, the order of living, God's commandments that he invites us into are not about achievement or control. They're not about personal game. But instead, they tell us about who God is and how our hearts are meant to align with his if we are to live as living as his image in the world around us. Not sure if you know this about me, but I would identify as a little bit of a rule bender. Um, and for me, that came out quite significantly kind of at the end of my high school life, beginning of my young adult life. Um, shortly after high school, I went off to Bible college in Australia, to a Cape and Ray in Australia. And at that time, I arrived at school, and I was met with a student handbook full of rules. And these rules seemed like a little bit, like, extra, like a little bit more than normal school rules. For example, we were only allowed to listen to music out loud on Wednesdays. No idea. So as a rule bender, I began to be very frustrated by the restriction of these rules. And I made it my goal to break all of them, or as many of them as I could, by the end of my first semester. So I was there for two semesters. And during that semester, I very happily worked through the list of rules and chose to adjust them according to my desires. Um, and in that time, as I was having fun bending these rules, I also was receiving this invitation from the Lord into considering leadership in ministry. And God was working on my heart as to what it would look like to work in full-time ministry. Now, these two things did not synthesize well. The desire for rule bending and this invitation into leadership. And between my two semesters, I spent some time traveling in New Zealand and spent a lot of time just kind of alone looking at beautiful things out a car window. And God really started to talk to me about what it looks like to be a leader who follows first. And talk to me about kind of the rebellious nature that I was experiencing and even just the, the way that learning submission and trusting someone else, even if I disagree, is something that will create in me a character that is valuable to lead others. And so I wrestled with God in this month off. And I was like, okay, Lord, what do you want this to look like? And as I was coming back to my second semester of school where I was actually taking a leadership certificate and kind of acting as like a, as like a mentor student towards the new students that were coming in, um, God said, I want you to follow 
every rule in the handbook for the next semester. And I, that, that was a big, significant <laughs> interaction with me and him. And I was like, okay, okay. I, I worked that out with him, and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. I promise you, I'll do it. And then the night before the new students came, he said, I want you to tell all of the new students that we have this agreement. Now, I didn't want to do that because I wanted the option of maybe bending the rules if I needed to. But I felt like that accountability was important for the character development that God was leading me into. And so I did. I told the new students about this wrestle I'd had with God and the thing that I felt like God was inviting me to learn um, and that they could hold me accountable if they ever saw me bending one of the rules. And they did. And in that semester, I learned the value of submission. I learned the value of trusting a God that was bigger than my understanding. I learned the value of posturing my heart in a place where it could be changed so that my character could grow to look more like Jesus's. Our response to the law needs to start with our heart posture. How does your heart respond to an invitation of obedience to God? How does your human reaction line up with God's desired outcomes of fulfilling that law? What might you need to do to shift and align your heart so that you can walk in his ways? It's when our hearts are soft to the shaping of God that he starts to form our character to resemble his, and then we respond with actions of obedience. And what happens when we respond with obedience to the laws that God gives us? Well, the laws of God are in place to help us love him and others more. When we obey God's invitations with an active response, we participate in building the kingdom of God around us. We see people as God sees them. And we love and value them as he loves and values them. We challenge systems and structures that don't uphold those values. We strive to bring spaces of healing and hope to all of the brokenness around us. That's the fruit of the law. We see that in the example of the life of Jesus and the way that he treated people. Sometimes the Old Testament laws can seem overwhelming and specific and really confusing. And I get there pretty often. But then I just come back to Jesus and remember that Jesus reminds us of their simple and profound purpose. In Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40, Jesus has this interaction with, with some Pharisees. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. So these were people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were very aware of the laws. They knew God's Old Testament laws. They knew what, what, what was written. They, they weren't like just learning it for the first time. So it says, one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the commands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. We talked about the Ten Commandments earlier. And here Jesus talks about the two most important commandments, which is a summary of those ten. What Jesus is saying is that if you were to take those first four commandments Put them all together, you can sum them up as loving God. And if you take the next six commandments, you can sum them up as loving others, as ourselves. And Jesus shows us here that 
what we have been saying about God and his laws are true. That ultimately God wants us to experience his love and show that love to others. And he gives us the law to enable us to do that with our actions. He tells us that every action and thought that we have, if we put it through the lens of these two most important commandments, it will honor the Lord, bring our heart closer to his, and bring life that is truly life to the people around us. When I first started following Jesus, I was 11. I got to know Jesus at camp. I decided to follow him, and I came to this church, to this junior high youth group, so that I could learn how to follow him. And I started hearing about all of these laws that that God gives, these commandments. And I remember thinking, I'm not going to do that just because you're telling me to do that. (laughs) That seems silly. I want to know why. I want to know what it does if I actually follow these things. And as I learned and grew and watched other people obey God's laws, I saw it. I saw the fruit. I saw the love that was multiplied in the world around me. And I wanted to follow those laws too. When the law can seem complicated, Jesus wants to simply remind us that it's good and we can trust him and it. Psalms 19, 7-9 says, The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true, and each one is fair. God's laws can show us two things about ourselves, that we need to have a heart posture of love towards God and others, and that we need to love as an action by caring for others in the same way that Jesus showed us. And when we are attentive to and obey these invitations of God with an active response, we participate in building the kingdom of God around us. As we conclude this morning, I want to offer some questions for reflection. And for some of you, maybe you are just starting to follow Jesus. And so you're just learning about the commandments or the invitations that he issues to us and what it looks like to be obedient to those things in your life. And maybe it feels really new and overwhelming. Or for others, maybe you follow Jesus for a really long time. And it feels like these commandments and these laws are very close to your heart and you know them well. So what I would invite all of you into as we think about these reflection questions is just what is a, what is a new thing that God is inviting me to pay attention to right now. First of all, how do we see God through his law? How do I see God's character through the laws that he gives? And how might I need to shift or change to see God's character more rightly? Am I looking at him as a big bad rule maker? Or do I see his kindness and his love and his goodness and his justice through these laws? How do I need to position myself to see God more through the laws he gives? The next one is, where's my heart posture? What is my heart posture towards God's law in my life? How do I come to it? Do I come to it with walls up and feeling just rebellious or or, um, oppositional? Do I come to it with pride or with confidence or with fear? Or do I come to it with apathy, legalism, or with welcoming or receptivity? What might I have to shift in my life to have a heart posture that's open to God's invitations of obedience 
and open to the way it's going to form my character. And last, how can my obedience to the law be rooted in the outcome of multiplying love? Not just doing the right thing or saying that I do the right thing or looking like I do the right thing, but because God's heart is that we would love him and love others. And what needs to shift for that to be so? I'd like to pray for us this morning. Jesus, thank you that you walk with us as we figure out how to be obedient to you. Thank you for your grace, your grace upon grace upon grace that you pour out onto us as we learn to be your followers. Thank you for your spirit as we follow you that, that dwells within us, reshapes our heart and our character to look more like you and roots our actions and our obedience to the law in that of love. God, I pray that as we read your word and as we talk about your word together, as we talk about your laws and your commandments and what they look like, Lord, would you help us find you in the confusing nature of all of it? Would you help us see your character and to know you more as a God who is good and loving and just? God, I pray that we would have a softness of heart. Lord, if there's anything that's causing us to kind of build walls around our heart towards your invitations or commandments, God, would would you just allow those kind of walls to come down and be soft to the way that you're inviting us to be reshaped and reformed and actively obedient right now? Lord, I pray that as you lead us in active response to your commands, God, that all of that would be rooted in love. That we would just be growing in love for you and one another and our actions would flow out of that. And that, Lord, that we would seek to live out your laws in a way that allows all people to flourish. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you that you walk with us. We pray all of these things, Lord, in your name. Amen.